Turn to number 340, near my, oh, near, still nearer. 340. Near.
Let's all stand. We turn to 270. So, keep pages back. 270, the haven of rest. <laughs> Oh. 
us pray before we sit down. Father, thank you, Lord, this morning that our heaven of rest is you. Thank you, Lord, that we're able to worship you this morning. Meet the needs for in Jesus' name, amen. All right, sing one more. 274. Several pages forward. Jesus never fails. chosen you from eternity as if you're going to be saved or not. You know, that's the wrong doctrine. It's a false doctrine. It's almost a devilish doctrine. Whosoever will is very prominent in both testaments. 
from giving of the tabernacle offerings to the temple construction to the New Testament. Uh, free will is found everywhere, whosoever will. And uh, we make choices, we make decisions. And I hope that today you made a decision to open your heart to learn from the Bible, to get something from His Word. And usually when you come like that, you get something that'll help you for the week. And I hope that is the case today. Uh, I have been going through the book of Psalms. I want you to come back with me to the book of Psalms chapter 8. And from there, I'm going to go through many other verses. I have been getting a blessing in my personal reading of the book of Psalms throughout. I try to read consistently through the Bible every year. And then I sometimes deviate to go through something I want to focus on. And Psalm chapter 8 has a good, a good verse for us to use to begin the message for today. Stand with me, please. Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8. And I want you to come down to verse number 3. Verse number 3. Psalm 8, verse number 3. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, verse 4, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. Just to give you some background about this psalm, there's two meanings to this psalm. One is God made man to have dominion over the earth, over all of God's creation. The earth is made for man to use, to benefit him, to produce for him. The earth is not made to protect in a sense of it is sacred. The earth is made for man to use, cut down trees, mill them, build homes, build structures, uh, animals to hunt and to to, for food and things like that. First fish to fish for food, things like that. And so man is made to have dominion over the earth. The second meaning of Psalm chapter 8 is that God is mindful of man and he sent the Son of Man to visit man. And that is about salvation. That's about the Son of God coming to this world and intervening, interceding for man to become man's Savior because God saw what man needed. He needed a Savior. And that's the two meanings of the book of Psalm chapter 8. But then look at Psalm chapter 8, verse number 3. When I consider the heavens, verse 4, thou art mindful of him. So consideration, considering, and being mindful. I want to use those words to teach something today and preach something today from this psalm. It's about considering some things, thinking about some things. Sometimes you talk to a man, he's not listening to you because his mind is distracted. He's thinking about something else. You look at him, he's... He's talking to him, but he's looking, he's smiling on something else. A football coach during a football season, professionally especially, they're not home. They have early morning meetings with coaches. Then they have meetings with the players. Then they go in the after for practice with the players. Then they come back for more meetings. They have meals. But then the coaches, the head coach and the staff, they are locked into their offices. They're there into the early morning hours. They call home, honey, I won't be home tonight. They, she understands. When football season comes, a coach's wife does not see her husband too much, but for a few minutes. They're consumed, they're preoccupied with football, winning the game. They're preparing so hard every aspect of the game, down to every play, every play. They want to be sure every base is covered. And so they're preoccupied. They're thinking about, they're considering very heavily the game. Now, I want you to think about some things today. I want you to consider not like a football coach, but take time to seriously consider some things from the Bible. Yeah. All right, so that's where I'm going today. Pray with me. Father, I pray for your help this morning. I pray to speak to each heart and teach us, remind us, 
push us, Lord, in some areas and help us to rest in you today. I appreciate the song today. The emphasis today is Jesus Christ. The emphasis today is not the flesh. The emphasis today is not about any one particular man. It's about the Son of God and how all these songs and the emphasis is on the Son of God. And so may it be so in the message today. I pray you help us to think about these things and to be serious about it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. All right. He says in verse number three, when I consider, when I consider, the definition of consider is this, very simply, to think carefully about something. There's a second part to that definition, but the first part says to think about something carefully. Uh, I talked to a mechanic just yesterday, and we talked about the car, the AC, and why it's not working, and so on. And he says, you know, he put some scanner on the thing, but he couldn't figure something out because everything is so computerized and he wasn't really sure, so he wasn't going to give any advice. He says, you know, there's thousands of parts to this car, to any car. I said, how many parts to a car? You know what he told me? He says, I don't know. But I checked out and it says somewhere that there's about 30,000 parts from nuts and bolts to the engine block, everything. 30,000 parts that you can identify and more. He says, modern cars are very difficult to work on because of sensors and computers and everything. This goes off here, then this goes off over here. This is connected to this. He said, manufacturers, some that do not know the consequence of what they made. It's so complex that if something goes wrong, the, the troubleshooting process is so, so complicated because of computerization. Now, that reminded me of something. I began to think, I began to consider something else when he talked to me about that yesterday. I began to think about the human body and how complicated the human body is. Did you know that you have several systems in your body, maybe nine or eight or 11, that without these systems, you cannot function, you cannot live? If one of these nine or 11 systems fail, you're gonna have problems. For example, not getting into the medical terminology, but you have the circulatory system, cardiovascular system, circulates blood around the body via the heart, arteries, veins, delivering oxygen, nutrients to organs and cells. It keeps your body temperature in a safe range. You don't even think about that. That's your circulatory cardiovascular system, digestive system, endocrine system, uh, exocrine system, your skin, hair, nails, sweat, and other exocrine glands, your immune system, lymphatic system, muscular system, nervous system, the renal system, urinary system, reproductive system, your skeletal system, all of these systems work together as a car is designed to function a certain way, as the different parts can appear so supposed to make the car work a certain way, so is the body. I thought about the human body and how designed it is and how complicated it is and how there must be a God. My thought went to, as I was talking to the mechanic, when I consider what he's saying, I'm thinking there must be a God. The man is a former Seventh-day Adventist, went to Seventh-day Adventist school. He believes in God. He claims to be saved. I said, does this remind you of God? He says, yeah, 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 yeah. And it does. The complexity of the human body alone. When I consider design, function, and purpose, I think that there is a God. So I want you to consider, I want you to think with me about thinking. Think with me about thinking. Think with me about considering something seriously. Um, when I consider, I have a serious thought in my mind. I want you to consider the consequences of actions. The consequences of your actions. Think seriously about the consequences of your actions. When I was a boy, elementary school, there were hills down by the portables. We'd come early, we'd sit there 
barefoot or with slippers along the grass. We were waiting for the homeroom bell to ring so we can go to the portables. We get pencils out, sharp pencils. Is ready to go to school, two of them. We had two sharp pencils. We'd sit there, bored, and so we said, let's play chicken. Chicken was, you would, you would, you would sit with your legs so far apart without your shoes on, get your sharp pencils facing your partner and you would doze the pencil into the ground. And with each one, you bring your feet closer together inch by inch. And you keep doing that, you take turns. You throw here, you throw here. You keep bringing your feet close together. And of course, the, the anxiety is you might get stabbed by the sharp pencil. And so <laughs> I was doing that, this guy's doing this to me. It was a girl, a holy girl. We're doing that, she's doing that, we're doing this. We did real close. I said, oh, it's gonna come close. She said, that's okay. And I said, I, I did that, and you know what I did? I stabbed her with my pencil, right above her, right between the big toe and the, the second toe. And she hollered, and that pencil, I, I did it with gusto. I went, whack, and he went, and she she jumped up, she screamed, she ran to the hormone teacher. She said something to her. Teacher called me into the office, into the portal. The teacher says, what did you do? I said, I, I was playing a game. What game were you playing? We are playing chicken. I mean, she was doing that, and I was doing that to her, and I said, that's the name of the game. And she said, she said, and so what happened? You aimed at her? I said, no, I just threw it down, and she, her foot was so close, and there's only that much space between her feet and grass, and so I must have, I must have. And, and the girl said, she was crying. She said, you hurt me, you hurt me, you hurt me. And the teacher said, did you know this might happen? She said, I guess so. I don't know. And she said to the girl, she said, well, you should have thought about that. <laughs> and I thought I was going to get suspended, stay home, uh, uh, not have, worst of all, miss lunch. <laughs> stay in the classroom, miss lunch. I thought, and the second worst thing is no, no recess, no kickball, no PE. Oh, that'd be tragic. She said, well, you should have thought about that. And she just thought it was the end of the story. She was saying to her, you should have thought about the consequence when you played the game of chicken. Now, before you do something, you and I had better check and consider the consequence before you make a decision. There's a new law, which makes me think of this, being proposed, seriously considered, it says in this report, by lawmakers in New York City. It could strip landlords of the ability to perform criminal background checks on prospective tenants. Think about what this report is about. Landlords cannot do a background check on prospective tenants. Well, you do background checks on everybody, don't you? But you can't do it on prospective tenants. The legislation is called Fair Chance for Housing Act. Oh, that sounds so good. It sounds so help. It sounds so, 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 so needed. Fair Chance for Housing Act. Set to go before the New York City Council's Committee on Civil Rights. On December the 8th, is being backed by at least 30 of the council's 51 members. Mayor Eric Adams, genius, says this, quote, no one should be denied housing. Is that so? Is that so? Who should be denied housing? Tell me, are there some folks who should be desired, denied housing? Well, if you can't pay your rent, why should I rent to you? If your income doesn't justify why should I rent to you? I'll go find someone else who can pay rent. I got bills. Why should I rent to you? Yeah. 
No one should be denied housing because they were once engaged with the criminal justice system. Plain and simple, a spokesman for the mayor's office told Fox Business. It sounds so, it sounds so kind and so graceful, but is it a good thing to not do a background check on people who have a record? Not a good thing. Not a good thing at all. Now, they better consider before they do something, the consequences. And I want you to consider actions about consequences. Be careful about doing something without thinking it through. You're gonna get poked one day and it won't be by a pencil. You're not gonna lose some money one day because we didn't think things through. We're gonna give them some Ponzi scheme, some pyramid scheme, some get rich quick scheme, some cryptocurrency scheme. We're gonna lose a lot of money. Yeah, have you been watching the news? Have you been hearing things that's been going on? It sounds so good, it sounds so proper, it sounds so, it's so slick. Big names are into it. Yes. These big names are being sued. Yes. Well, I don't know if that's fair or not, if they endorsed it, but I'm saying, uh, think, think carefully about the consequences of reactions. There are consequences to actions. Now, what should you consider? Well, think about the power of your inner thoughts. This sounds kind of new agey, but it's not. Think about the power of your inner thoughts. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says this, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. That verse is not saying you can be anything you want to be. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's not saying if you think you can fly, you can fly. That's not saying if you think you are God, you are a God. That's not saying that at all. That's not saying if you think you're a woman and you're a man, you're a woman. That's not saying that at all. It's not saying that at all. It's just seem to say if a man thinks something in his heart, that's what will come out of him. That's what he will become. He is the product of how he thinks in his inner thoughts. What you dwell upon, what you meditate upon, that is what is going to be carried out with your hands and with your feet, with your mouth and with your eyes. Actions, actions are appreciated by thought. Actions come after a long, a long train of thoughts. You sit on it, you meditate upon it, you act upon it. So think about the power of the inner thoughts. Now, you are the product of what you consider, what you think about. Be very careful about that. Proverbs 10, 4 says, The wicked through the pride of his countenance would not seek after God, for God is not in all of his thoughts. Well, wait, wait a minute now. Wait a minute now. If God's not in my thoughts, then I am going to be a godless person because God is not in my thoughts. It makes sense to me that if I think of God, I'll be a godly person. If I don't think about God, I'll be a godless person. Now think about that. What's on your mind, what's in your inner thoughts, if it is not God, then you will live out what you think about inside. And we will know what you are like on the inside by what you do on the outside. And the reverse is also true. A godly man or a godly woman reflects that they have been meditating upon their inner thoughts have been on godly things and on God himself. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. And that's a good reason why people don't seek God because they don't want God. They don't think about God. They think God's a nuisance to them. They think God is a, a, a humbug to them. God is just a big block in my, in my progress of this life. It's just a big, uh, no, you can't. No, no, no. He's just a big no. He's just a big Scrooge in my life. Take away all my happiness and fun. You know, recently I've met so many people that are like that, where their whole focus, their whole attention 
All of that consideration is for now. Everything's about now. They have no thoughts about anything spiritual or godly. I met a few like that. That's a real refreshing thing, a blessing to meet people who have a consideration for God. Godly people. At least they're moral people. But more than that, more than not, I mean people who are just going to get as much as they can uh, from the bars, from the liquor, from the night scene, their party life. They want that more than anything else. They're on the younger side of life. And I've met a few veterans that are like that, though. They just want to make sure that they end their life on a big high. God's not in their thoughts. For me, it would be just the opposite. The closer you get to the end of your life, the more you think about God. <laughs> not less. But that's how people are. God's not in their thoughts. And I wouldn't trust a man if God's not in his thoughts. I could not trust a man with money, with my, with my grandkids, or um, anything that I have that's of value to me if someone doesn't have God in his thoughts. I can't trust someone who does not have respect for God or the Bible or someone who does not have any kind of restraints on him, something spiritual. Can't trust a man like that. First Corinthians 13, verse number 5 says about charity, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easy to provoke, thinketh no evil. But a man with no God in his thoughts will think evil, will seek his own. A man with no God in his thoughts is only thinking about self-gratification. A man with no God in his thoughts, no God in his life, is only thinking about the most important person in his life, himself. And that's how it is. Do you know that many famous athletes are in the Hall of Fame for basketball or football or baseball? But many of them, I mean literally many of them, but not all, I say many, many of them are just immoral, immoral. They, they have, they're amoral, they have no morality. Many of them are. Will Chamberlain, one of the greatest basketball players um, of all time in basketball history, you know he's a very amoral man. You don't have to know the details, but you just need to know people like that. Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson. I call him Tragic Johnson. Uh, Tragic Johnson. Yeah, he was very amoral. He had no morality and morals about him. And um, their, the Lakers are nicknamed a certain nickname because of their parting life before and after the games. And yet, uh, they live that kind of a life because they have no God in their thoughts. Sadly, some of those players grew up these black guys grew up with a Baptist background, going to church background, their parents took them to church, but something never stuck with them. When they got the, the big contracts and the fame and the glory, and that's all they could have with the stamp of the finger, they chose that instead. God was not in their thoughts. It began slowly, but it became such a, 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 a normal thing for them. And so uh, it was not conquering basketball games anymore, it was conquering women. That became that became the prize, and these people are just they are they are reprobate. A lot of them. There's only one player on the Lakers team that I have respect for. His name was uh, A.C. Green. A.C. Green was so different. A Christian man, a really saved man. A.C. Green did not participate during that during that team's uh, heyday of uh, debauchery and and hedonism. He was the only one that did not participate, and he was the mock, the laughing stock of that team. A.C. Green was. He was a star player, but he became the laughing stock. A.C. Green says, I am single. I'm going to remain celibate until I get married. Ha, 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 ha. They, 
They harassed him to no end. After the games, when it's time to go partying, he would go home. He'd go to his hotel room, and he'd spend time alone. He'd read his Bible. That's his testimony. And he remained pure. He fled youthful lust because God was in his thoughts. The other bunch of characters, God was not in their thoughts. Some of them have regrets about what they lived, how they lived, and what they did. Most of them just he hauled it all the way through. Well, uh, God's not in all of his thoughts. Because of that, they seek their own. They think no evil what they're doing. Stay from people like that. Do not have close friendships with people like that. Try to win them the Christ, yes, but do not participate in what they do because they are deadly, they're destructive, seeking self, self-fulfillment, gratification. That's all they're after. And then 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says this, casting on imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought every thought to the obedience of Christ the thought life the thought life you have to consider very seriously the power of the thought life you have to deal with that you have to have control over that and you must you must not let your thought life get the better of you bring it into captivity he says it has to be captured by something more powerful what would that more powerful thing be that can capture your thought life no, your thought life is yours. Your thought life is only yours. Only God knows what you're, not even the devil knows how you think, but God knows what you think. The word of God knows what you think. It's the discern of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It cuts right through that. You had better spend time in your Bible, stay close to God, put God in your thoughts. Otherwise you will slip very slowly into a life of thoughtlessness, no thought for God. And then it'll become, you'll be overcome with thoughts for yourself, gratification only. And everything that you do in your life eventually will go to the direction of, it's all about me. It's all about me. No, it's not all about you. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I wonder why. I wonder why he says there is no God. Because God's not in his thoughts. They're corrupt, the Bible says in Psalm 14.1. They've done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. And then the epitome of that is Romans chapter 1. Sometimes look it up, read it through. 1 verse 16 to 32. It's about that God giving them over to reprobate mind because they did not like to retain God in their thoughts. They did not like to retain. They did not like to keep God in their thoughts. Can I tell you something? If you're not careful as a Christian... That can happen to you. Hopefully you won't do the thing of Romans chapter 1, but that can happen to you as far as the process goes where you begin to, to not think about God because, because you have not spent time in the Word, you have not spent time in fellowship with God, and you've gotten busy, you got busy, you got busy, you got distracted, and you're overcome by things of this world, and soon this is not as important as it once was, and pretty soon it's not as important to go to church Christmas is not as important to remember. You see, all these things, spiritual things that you do to keep you, keep God in your thoughts, if Christian is not there. You gotta be careful about that because the best Christian can backslide slowly. The best preacher can fall into sin. The best missionary can be messed up on the mission field. The best deacon, the best whoever you think about as, oh, that's he's a good Christian, she's a good Christian. It can happen to anybody because if you don't have God in your thoughts, 
If God does not dictate, does not rule in your heart, in your thoughts, your inner thoughts, you and I can have a huge, tremendous fall. And great was the fall of it when that happens. Don't let that happen to you. Recognize, think seriously about the power of inner thoughts, your inner thoughts. The thought life needs to be captured by a greater power, and that's the Word of God. If you don't love God enough to obey Him, keep your mind in the Word of God so that it'll help you to love Him. It'll help you to obey better. Number two, besides consider the inner thoughts, consider your influence. Consider the power of your influence. You know what a copycat crime is? Copycat crime. Something's done, it's broadcast, it's on the news, it's exciting, it's it's interesting, get your attention, and then somebody gets an idea, hey, I can do that too, or I can improve on that. And so copycat crimes. The visual influence on a person is very powerful, and uh, what you hear, what you see is very powerful, and we sometimes are careless to let things influence our thinking so that the evil becomes normal, so that the wrong becomes almost right, so that what is described in scripture or morally wrong it becomes that's not so bad not so bad many many a hollywood uh a, a aspiring hollywood star never intended to get corrupt but it happened to them it's it's it happens quickly slowly but it happens because there's no guard against the thoughts uh saying no to some things is a good step no you know that daniel uh, determined to start not to partake of the king's meat in Daniel chapter 1. He made up his mind beforehand he would not be tempted, he would not partake, and he did not. He made up his mind. Some of us need to just make up our minds ahead of time. I am not going to do certain things. I'm not going to go certain places. Now you say, well, that's legalism. No, no. This is just to for you to protect yourself from, from having your thoughts go to the direction of God's not in your thoughts. Your inner thoughts are now hopefully going to be protected from going in that direction. There, there's, there's something really sad. There's something really sad about reading about somebody that you respected in ministry and they're no longer in the ministry. They have, in fact, turned from following Christ. They have, in fact, renounced their belief in Christ. They are now saying they are um, former Christians. We have abandoned the faith. That's how they term it. And there's many places online where you can read about people who said, I was, I was into the bus ministry. I was into sewing. I was into church. I was into barbering. I was into this, the whole thing. And all of a sudden, they're, not, they're talking against it now. Well, something happened to them. Something happened to them slowly. Something bothered them. Maybe somebody hurt them. I don't know. But I know one thing. Their thought, their thought life changed from following and obeying Christ to, man, I don't know. That's not really what the Bible says. That shouldn't be there. No, no, no. And pretty soon they've been persuaded away from, and now their thought is against Christ, whereas they once were preaching for him. And so protect yourself. Consider the power of your influence now. And um, we all follow people in some way. We've got to be careful about who we follow. And Hebrews 10, 23, 25, it says this. Let me turn to it. Hebrews chapter 10, another familiar reference in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 20, 24. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, 
as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. 24 and 25 talks about the power of your influence. The power of your influence. Now, you might not think you're worth anything. You might not think you're anybody special. Really, you're not. But in a way, you are. Because of the power of influence that you have on somebody else. Do you realize that the verse is teaching you that you are to consider one another? Think seriously about how you behave because of the influence it has on other people. Think seriously about what you say because of the influence it has on other people. I, I am so privileged because I have grandkids living nearby and um, they're always good for sermon illustrations. <laughs> if you have kids, you have a lot of sermon illustrations. Don't look any further. But sometimes my wife rebukes me kindly because she says, shh, don't say that. And I say, why not? Because they can hear you. Who are they? The kids. Okay, I'm supposed to shh because the kids can hear me say something. I'm not saying anything wrong. I just said these people are stupid. <clears throat> I just said these Democrats are evil. I just said Biden is, he's a puppet. Shh, don't say that. She doesn't want me to be heard by the kids because she doesn't want me to influence them to be negative, to be critical, because they're taught to pray for those in authority. Well, I believe that I teach that, but I still criticize them. But she doesn't want them because they're kids. She don't want them to get too much. She wants them to mature so that they get a, a balanced way of evaluating things. Well, of course, I'm an adult. They're kids and they're immature. They're still growing up. But uh, I just speak my mind sometimes and say, shh, don't say that. Because she doesn't want me to influence them. And then sometimes in public, I'll do something. I'll make a face about something. I see some homeless person stealing a cart from Safeway. I say, look at that thief. Look at that thief. And she'll say, she'll do this to me in the cart. There's some kids not man. She'll say, she'll do this, this mean eye thing. And I'm like, well, I know what she's trying to say. Don't say anything bad about homeless people because it looks like you don't have any compassion on them and the kids are taught to have compassion. Da, 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 da. I understand that. But she doesn't want me to influence them to be grouchy and critical. And, uh, you know, and then when somebody's praying, when somebody's praying, sometimes I, I do this. I look at the kids. I see some kids doing this. And then afterwards I say, hey, when we pray, you close your eyes in respect, you bow your head. How do you know I wasn't bowing my head with my eyes? I say, because I saw you. And then they come back with, well, how come you weren't bowing your head closing your eyes? <laughs> Man, got caught red-handed there. So the power of influence is very strong. Um, when I was at Bible school, the president and the pastor of the school uh, church, he had a double-breasted suit. All the quote preacher boys, they all bought double-breasted suits. I never had a suit, so I never bought one. Didn't care to have one. And so uh, uh, they all mimicked, copied the one that they followed. They were influenced by him. He never said get a double-breasted suit, navy, navy blue. They just did it out of admiration, respect uh, of this great man. And so then you have people who copy the mannerisms of preachers. Jack House used to go, <coughs> oh, do the, <coughs> And all these young guys, there's <coughs> nothing wrong with you. They're just mimicking, copying. They're influenced. They're influenced. And uh, everybody gets a short haircut. I mean, almost skin flint, you know? Almost skin flint. 
But the guys would look good with a short haircut like that. This guy looks good if he has some hair combed back and come. But they all want to copy their leader, you know. They're being influenced. They think you're not spiritual as he is if you don't have the same kind of haircut. If you don't walk the same way, you're not as godly. If you don't hold your Bible a certain way, if you don't do the right gestures like he does, you're not as good. They're all influenced by those who influence them. Influence is very powerful. Now, I want you to know that, and I want you to know this as well, that you provoke, you are to exercise your, your influence on people in a positive way, verse 24. Let us consider one another to provoke, that's to push, unto love and to good works. That's something good. You are to influence, you are to influence, use your power and influence to help people, urge them on to do something better for Christ. That's what that's about. You're not supposed to just drift through life like jellyfish, non-influential. You're supposed to have some kind of influence on somebody. Now, I would never go around and impose my will and my opinions on people unnecessarily, but whenever whenever somebody asks, I ought, ought to be able to influence them for Jesus Christ or for the Bible at least. So you have an influence, I have an influence. We cannot underestimate the power of an influence. Provoke unto love and good works. Well, how do you provoke somebody else? How do you influence someone else? He says, not forsaking the assembly of yourself together. And when you assemble together, when you're around other Christians, you can exhort one another. Well, you can't exhort one another without being around them. You have to be around them to exhort them and to influence them and to provoke them. You can't be living on an island by yourself or in a castle by yourself. You have to be around to influence people. Now, I know there's an exception to technology, but you know what I'm trying to say. You know what the Bible's trying to say. So consider the power of your influence. And then Proverbs 27 says this. Iron sharpeneth iron. So man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. My mother-in-law is so good at doing this without even her realizing she does this. If you ever feel blue, call my mother-in-law. If you ever feel discouraged, call my mother-in-law. Talk to her. And she will, she will lift your spirit. She will encourage you. If you ever feel like giving up or quitting or um, doing something stupid, uh, call her and she will encourage you to not do that. She calls you to think twice. She has that kind of power of influence. She'll look at you like this. And she'll do this. And then she'll do this. And then she'll do this. And then you say, thank you, Nancy, for listening to me. I feel so much better. <laughs> thank you for what you said. She didn't say anything. All she did was give an expression. Her countenance just expressed. She's listening to you. She cares about you. I will pray for you. And she essentially does. The power of influence. We all influence somebody. When I come to church, now let's just be practical. When I come to church and I see you and you just do this. Good morning. Are you back here? Are you having a good day? I'm having a good day. That is so encouraging. And, uh, then you have people that just walk by you without saying anything. They just, you know, shuffle by like that. That's very encouraging. But then you have other people that discourage you. They smile. They say, hi, good morning. They say something dumb. They're like, nice to see you. Well, that just discourages everybody, doesn't it? Then you have people sitting in church. They smile. They nod their head. They might grunt, amen, or mm-hmm, that's right, you know. That's very encouraging. And then you see people, something to sit there, they do like this, you know. You don't know what they're thinking. You just don't know what they're thinking. At least, at least pretend to enjoy it. At least 
pretend that you're listening. That'll be encouraging. I need to be provoked to do better. I need to have some kind of influence on me to say, okay, that was a good thing that you said. All right, that's helpful to me. And you need to know that other people in this church, they would like to encourage you too. And uh, look, we all have power of influence. Let's exercise that, let's use that for the good, for Jesus Christ. Consider your mortality. Consider your mortality. James 4, 4 says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, but what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. Vacationers, people that come to Hawaii, you know what they do? They have a short time, seven, ten days like that. And uh, when it comes to the sixth out of the seventh day, you know what they do? They pack it as much as they can on that last day. Morning to night, they wear themselves out, do everything they possibly can to get everything in because this is the last night. Tomorrow they're gonna fly. Oh, I'm gonna pack tonight when we get back. They're so sad. And so they're gonna they're gonna pack it all in on the last day of the vacation, get everything as much as possible, exhaust themselves because this is the last day. Now that reminded me, that reminded me of the truth that we need to consider our mortality. Our life is short, our life is like a vapor. You know it's been really cold nowadays. Um, I told Mike the other day it came down to 70. He said, no, it came down to 62. Well, today, Kanae was down to 60, even 60, and it was chilly. It felt good. It felt really good. Um, consider your mortality. Your life is like, a, it wasn't cold enough that when you breathe, you have a vapor come out, but when it's really cold, like now in the men of New York and all that, Michigan, it's really cold. Uh, your life is like a bit very brief, and it's gone. Your life is brief, it's gone. And so their vacation's about over, and so they're gonna get everything in. We, we people, we Christians, you Christians, you, you think funny, because you say, well, you know, I'm getting older, so I better, uh, I better do all the traveling I can while I can. I better buy all the things I can buy while I can. I better, while I can, I better experience this while I can. I better, while I can. Well, I understand that. I understand that. When I'm visiting my mother-in-law and Emily up there, we do everything as much as we can, not just on the last day, but every day, make every day full, make every day a good day, go to sleep tired. And then when the last two or three days come, oh, nobody wants us to leave, but I want to leave. And then, uh, but when the last day always comes, it's always a sad time. And so we try to do everything we can. I understand that. But let's look at our lives seriously. Let's consider this. Your life's a vapor. It's short. What then should you do with your life? Because it is short. Pack it in for what you can get out of it. Or make your life count for something a little bit greater than that. I mean, are you the most important person in this life? In many ways, you are. Is your family the most important things in life? In many ways, they are. But what is really important in life that you want to consider is you want to consider that your life is short, you are mortal, and one of these days you have your last day before you pack up and go home. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, Ecclesiastes says, Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. You should consider seriously, think seriously about your life in relationship to your Lord and how much you should live to honor him and to glorify him. After all, you got saved so you can glorify him, bought with the price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God. You should pack it as much as you can to live for him and glorify him. That's what our focus ought to be. Now you can't be preaching 24 seven. That's not what that means, that's not what I mean. But I do mean this, that you live your life so that you, when you face your last day before you have to 
fly home, you'll have few regrets. Yeah, few regrets. I'm not saying don't work hard. I'm not saying don't spend time. I'm not saying don't plan. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying when your last 24 hours come before you have to pack up and go home spiritually, you want to have as few regrets as possible. That means you're going to have to get serious about your Christian life. You're going to have to be serious about how you think about your life as a Christian and not just cruise through life like you're on a constant vacation. Don't always think that it's greener on the other side. Don't always think that, well, if I, if I have this, my life will be much happier. If I go here, I'll be much happier and so on and so on. Listen, where you live now is where you need to glorify God in your life. Right now. Right. Not wait until later on. Well, if I had more money, well, if I had, who doesn't wish to have more money? You need to glorify what you have now and not wait for a big windfall and then say, oh, now I will. No, 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 no. Think, think about it more seriously. Think about it better. And then consider, besides considering your mortality, consider your life without Christ. Ephesians 2.12. Consider your life without Christ. Ephesians 2.12. Verses 1 through 12. I'll just come to verse 12. That at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Consider your life without Christ. Think seriously about what it would be like if Christ was not in your life. Do you remember when you were not saved? What it was like then? You may have thought it was kind of fun. You may have thought it was pretty free. You may have thought, yeah, yeah, nobody tells me what to do. But now that you've been saved for a little while, consider what it's like to live without Christ in your life. When you pray, who are you praying to if Christ is not in your life? When you need help, who's going to help you? When you need when you need help, when you need mercy, when you need strength, who's gonna give it to you? You can't depend on man all the time to help you out. Sometimes man's gonna fail you. So consider your life without Christ. It'll be pretty hopeless, is what it says here. Without hope. I can't imagine living without hope. I can't imagine having a situation in which you have no hope. Well, there is no hope without God. I can't imagine people who live a long time into their 50s and 60s and they had no God in life and they still feel like I don't need God in my life now. How blinded they must be by the devil to think they don't need God in your life. God got them out of scripture without even God uh, being acknowledged or being thanked and yet if it wasn't for God helping them by his mercy then uh, they'd have been gone already but here, here they are latter years and they're still alive and they still have decent health and they don't thank God at all. But there are some people who just just hate God. They just hate God. Um, they just hate God. For some reason, they just hate God. Something didn't happen. A prayer wasn't answered. Or they got into trouble with the law. And they, they prayed, but God didn't help them. Well, why should God help? Why should God have helped them? But they expect God to answer everybody's prayers. And so God didn't help them. So now they're bitter at God. And so they just hate God. And how can they live without any hope without God in their life? Some people are like that. They're not happy unless they hate God. Well, that's not a happy man, that's for sure. He's blinded. He thinks he's okay, but he's not. 
How can you go okay without God in your life? How can you have your child go have surgery without God in your life? How can your fever child go to the ER and you don't know what's going to happen? The fever is not going down. It's getting higher and higher and you're desperate. How can you not have any God in your life at that time? How can you not fake, face a, a, a disastrous financial situation without God in your life? How can you face future, a future without God in your life? Some people, they think they get along okay without it. Not me. Not me. A normal person with a brain, with a, a logical mind, realizes how helpless he is and how without God to help him, it, he will not be helped. I think it's sometimes good for people to be in a helpless situation so that they realize how helpless they are and how much they need God to help. That would be a good thing, I think, for some people. We're so independent, we're so strong, we're so macho, we, um, we can take care of things, which is not bad, but there are some things without God to help you, you're done, you're cooked. I, I, one of the scariest things to me is this. It's one of the scariest things to me. Going to a pyramid, have you seen these documentaries with the long passages? Long passages, 50 yards. And then my fear has always been as a boy, going down there, and then somebody in the behind me, the door shuts. And I'm in this long 50 yard passageway, about um, not even the width of this pulpit, only yay high, all rock. I'm in there. I've got a flashlight or a candle, and the door's shutting me. And I'm thinking, no, no. And I run back. I don't get the the, the door shutting like this. I'm running back, and I'm 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 hoping to slide in me like in the movies, but I don't. The door shuts. You know what? How you feel back then at at that moment? You know how you feel? Hopeless. Who are you gonna call to get you out? Tell me. The door is shut. You're there by yourself. You got a candle that three inches tall. It's going to go out. No light, no light, no light. You got some oxygen. But how do you feel? I mean, how do a normal man feel? You know how a normal man feels? God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Well, you never called upon God before. That's because you weren't in a jam before. Oh God, oh God. Kind of squeaky, huh? Yeah. Oh Francis, oh Francis, help. I would call on God, I'd beg God, I'd confess every known sin, I'd confess sins I might do when I get out. I'd go back to my youth, I'd confess everything. I, I, would, I would confess everything. I'd say, oh God, please, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'd beg God for help, because only God could help me. What would it be like to live without God in your life? Drive down the road, everything's fine, air conditioning's working, brakes working, steering's working, everything's fine. But then something goes wrong. What do you do then when something goes wrong? I was driving around one time around Garland, Texas, near Dallas, and it was 1970. I remember the date and I remember the night because the Cowboys were playing the Super Bowl, Denver Broncos, the one that gave listening on the radio, coming down the Beltway in Garland, Texas. Uh, it, was, it was really cold and there was uh, some ice on the road. And I heard before that if you ever get into a, a spin on ice or you're turning, uh, turning the direction of the, of the, where you're skidding, sliding, don't turn against it. So I'm coming down like this, a little, 
uh, incline, and my car, I step on the brake, and the brake, the car is beating go like this, like that, it turns in that direction. I said, uh-oh. And at that moment, I lost any sense of peace. I was panicking. I realized what's happening. I was sliding on the ice. I had no control. I was in the middle lane. There's another four lanes just for the bears. I was elevated, and my car went like that. Miranda's with me. She's going, and I'm saying to myself, God help. And I just turned in the direction of the, the skid, and I, I, skidded, I skidded down. I wasn't speeding. I, I skidded down until it leveled off. That was a real heart pump for a moment. You ever had those heart pumping moments where nobody could help you but God? Yeah. You depend on yourself, which is okay. You depend on other people, that's just okay. We can only do so much. And consider living without God in your life. Not a good thought. And then finally, consider eternity without Christ. Consider eternity without Christ. Matthew 25 and verse 20, 41 says, Then thou shalt say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. Verse 46. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, What shall I profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Get everything now, but lose everything in eternity. Now between eternity, between eternity and time, life now, which one is longer? Life now or eternity, which one is longer? Which one is longer? This is so small compared to that. He talks about fire, not just fire, but he says everlasting fire, eternal fire. It's so much longer in duration than suffering now on earth. Civil war, casualties, oh, I can't imagine. Sawing off the leg, you have to bite on a piece of stick. I can't imagine the pain, but that was temporary pain, short-term pain. I can't imagine the wounds in uh, on Iwo Jima, the Marines that came, if they didn't get shot to death, if they're wounded, I can imagine next trying to take care of the wounded soldiers and the suffering and the pain that they have to go through. It's all temporary though. But eternal pain, eternal suffering, the Lord says, what should I profit man to gain the whole and lose his own soul? It's not a good swap. Imagine, think soberly, think, consider in eternity without Christ. Now, I'm not gonna have a salvation appeal today, but I want you to remember this and think about this. The unsaved, the unsaved, if they leave this world without Christ, they have an eternity without him in hell. Then they're like a fire. That's a very, very long time. It's an eternity. And so it's not worth it. But people need to stop and think about their mortality and about their eternity without Christ. And I don't know what can happen, what should happen, what could happen to cause a person to think seriously about that. But uh, something has to happen for people to consider their, their eternal destination without Jesus Christ in eternity. I know that you and I cannot make people believe, but God can cause them to believe. And so consider eternity without Christ. And what a tragedy it is to live a life on earth with everything that you could have and then lose it all and not have anything in eternity. What a tragedy.
people need to consider some things that are really important. Uh, I'll close with this, this, this idea, this thought here to make us realize how we don't think about serious things. The most important thing in the entertainment industry are the awards for their field. Uh, country music, CMA, Country Music Awards, the Oscars for acting. What's the other one? Um, there's three or four, I guess, where they all, the, the peers all praise themselves. And everything is about, oh, she wore this. Oh, she wore that. Oh, he came with this. Oh, and this thing failed and this, that. And everything is about such insignificant things. Her dress cost $35,000 and her hair is put up like this, looking like a beehive. This is important. Cameras are there, flashbulbs going on, videos. Everything is so much about the now. Everything is so about now, how you look. Oh, and she looks so beautiful. Oh, and she and he, oh. Yeah. I, I saw this thing about this one. He's an Italian guy, I don't know who he is. But this guy has this, uh, his company is like, I'm handsome, I'm great looking. He comes in over here. With all these women, you know, he comes over here like this. I mean, he just is ready to pose a posing machine. And I just look at that kind of face, and I'm thinking, boy, you think you're special. I'll put you in King Rutan's pyramid. Turn off the lights and see how you think about yourself now. I like to think about how you feel if you fell overboard, how you'd face a charging grizzly bear. I like to think about I like you to think about how you think about life then. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know there are some serious things to consider in this lifetime. Hopefully you will think about the important things of life while you live your life. Now don't go overboard. Get so get so spiritual that you are you're just, you know, I mean, you know, you know what I mean? You gotta have a life. You gotta have some doubts about things. While you're living your life, have some seriousness about what you think about. Alright, let's pray. Lord, I pray that you help us as a church to have some sense about what's important and help us not to get overbearing about things. Help us to have balance about what we know is true. And I pray that you help us, Father, today to not make frivolous the important and make important the frivolous. Help us not to get wrapped up and caught up in this world where everything's about now. There are important things to think about to deal with for sure. We can't ignore them, but we can't get so obsessed with things so that we think that we must have this, we must have that, or else we won't be happy. We need to remember the important things of our lives, prayer, the word of God, church, fellowship with you. Lord, if it wasn't for you, we'd be dead. If it wasn't for you, we'd be in hell. If it wasn't for you being in our life, we'd be hopeless. But you are in our lives. We are saved people. We have a good reason for living. May we never unappreciate the blessings that you give to us. And help us, Lord, to live a day, live a day, live a day in which you know we are sober-minded about things. Bless the church. Help it to be what it should be. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.